Good morning, beloved. Grace and peace to you from God Most High. So I'm Bill Smith. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here, and we're going to continue our series on emotionally and spiritually mature in Christ. We're going to continue to look at the relationships between the body and the soul and the spirit. Before we go any further, we do have some things with the children to do today. So uh, we give them the handouts yet? Okay. So I have here in my pocket my friend, Lol, pronounced L-O-L. He's an emotion, okay? And we're going to talk today about how some, sometimes emotions sort of catch us off guard and they go from zero to ten, just like that, okay? Now, if you fill out that handout, you young ones, and you go after the service to Miss Joy, right there, who is doing the announcements, she'll let you pick out any one of those emotions you might like to. I like law because he's laughing, but there are some that show surprise and some that show um, maybe anger or whatever you want to pick out, okay? And to have fun with that. Adults, you don't get to play with those. Only the children get to, okay? So in part one, we talked about the body, its role, its cravings in proper place. In part two, we talked about the soul, which is different from the body. We might say that the soul is essentially who we are. That's what gets saved. And it consists of thoughts and feelings and emotions. The soul consists of more than that. It also consists of our personality and our talents and our gifts. But for our purposes during this series, we're focusing on the thoughts and the feelings and how those are playing a role in trying to influence will. So one of the things I talked about last week is that because our brain is part of the earth, our enemy has access to the brain and will try to influence our will primarily, but not exclusively, primarily through our feelings. Next week, we're going to talk more about the spirit and how the spirit is going to try to influence will through how we think about things, which is why Scripture talks so much about think this way or consider this or set your mind on this, because it has, uh, it has a, a, the truth that comes to help us make uh, better decisions. So today, we're going to talk more specifically about the emotions. And emotions are great when things are going well, aren't they? When they're positive, we love positive emotions. Nobody walks around sad because they're so happy. It just doesn't happen, right? But when it's not so great, when they're negative, or we experience those negative emotions too easily or too frequently, then we will likely have limitations to growing spiritually. After all, the signs, we'll talk more next week, the signs of spiritual maturity include things like peace versus agitation, Philippians 4, confidence versus timidity in Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 3, patience versus anger or frustration in Romans 8, a sound mind versus a worrying mind in 2 Timothy, the ability to forgive yourself versus shame in Matthew 6, or being other-oriented versus self-oriented we see in Philippians 2, and being loving versus being fearful we see in 1 John. So we are created in God's image, and we have emotions. Therefore, God must also have emotions. Would you agree? The first time I think we see God express emotions, at least behaviorally, is right after the fall. And what does he do to Adam and Eve? He doesn't say, good job, and try to do better, and don't worry about it. He curses not only Adam and Eve, but he curses the, the earth as a result of that. The first time we see emotions expressed in man are also right after the fall, where God comes in the cool of the day, it says, and he can't find Adam and Eve. Of course, he knows where they're at, but he says, where are you? And we find out that they were experiencing fear. 
That's why they hid from God. And why were they fearful? It says because they knew they were naked. And, you know, I've thought from time to time, how is it that the nakedness produced fear? And what I think what's going on there is what's happening for them is we can now be seen for who we truly are. We're now vulnerable, and that produces fear. And I think to this day, all of us still hide stuff or try to hide stuff from God. And I think still to this day, God is asking us a question, and it's the same question. Where are you? I miss you. I want to be with you. Why are you hiding with me? Now, I forgot to mention when we started this series that at the end of the series, we're going to have an exam. I didn't mention that before, did I? I wish I had. Yeah. Now, just out of openness and honesty, how many of you, when you saw that word, had for a brief moment an emotional reaction? Just raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you are still having an emotional reaction would like me to take that slide down? <laughs> yeah. It's just four letters, right? Four letters in an arrangement. And yet an emotional response occurs by seeing those letters like that. And that emotional response was something that we learned. If you ask a child who's just learned how to read and has never really been to school, and you show them that word, are they going to have an emotional reaction? No, they're going to say, oh, exam, okay. Of course, they're thinking, you just wait. Just wait. <laughs> that word's going to cause you to get, you know, want to throw up or something like that. But it's just a word. So what's happening there is um, when we look at that, we've all taken exams before, and some we passed, and others we failed. So now we have failure, embarrassment, shame, humiliation, and the conclusion that exams are a threat to our self-image or our self-esteem. So what's happening when we saw that is thinker and feeler, we talked about last week, they both saw that word and they dealt with it differently, didn't they? Thinker was probably going, wait a minute, this isn't fair. To announce this after the first two sessions, but I can always go listen to the podcast and put together a plan to pass this exam. The feeler on the other hand is experiencing surprise, alarm, anxiety, worry, panic, oh no, yet another opportunity to look stupid or unprepared. Other things might be start putting ourselves down, like perhaps I, should, perhaps I should go to the restroom right now and slip out, and I'm not coming back next Sunday. I need to get out of here, because I saw four letters in an arrangement that caused all kinds of problems for me. So I'm going to talk a bit more about thinker and feeler, and I'm going to give them a scale, like a Richter scale, where the Richter scale measures the power of an earthquake. And so thinker and feeler have this scale from 0 to 10. 0, there's no activity, and 10, major earthquake. And let's say there's this little boy named Johnny, and he has a brother named Ricky. They're about the same age, and they share a bedroom and the bunk beds. And every once in a while, Ricky, or Tricky Ricky, as I call him, likes to play some tricks on his brother Johnny. And Johnny's getting ready for bed, and he goes over to his drawer and slides that drawer open to get his pajamas. And they're sitting right on the top of his pajamas is a spider. When he sees that spider, thinker and feeler both go zero to ten right away, right? Spider. Upon further examination, thinker realizes this is a plastic spider. So thinker goes ten, zero. And then, of course, feeler finds this information out through thinker. It's a plastic spider. And, think, and feeler goes ten, nine, eight, right? Seven. How many times have you had somebody say, you need to calm down or chill out? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to. 
It takes a while. And before he really gets back down to zero, he goes over to his bed, pulls the covers, there's a snake. <laughs> zero to ten, right away, right? <laughs> Upon further examination, rubber snake. Thinker goes ten, the zealer. Zero. Feeler goes ten, nine, eight. And let's say that Johnny has all kinds of spiders and snakes in his life. But instead of being spiders and snakes, they're siblings, they're parents, they're the neighborhood kids, they're the kids at school, they're teachers. Can you see that after a while, on certain areas, Johnny's feeler will get stuck because it never gets back down to zero. It only gets back down to about six. And that's called a damaged emotion. So in the future, when little Johnny becomes adult Johnny, and one of those things happens related to that particular stuck feeling, and he would, something comes into his life that would produce a reaction of maybe about zero up to five. But he's already starting on six. That's the lowest he goes. If he has an emotional reaction that should, should produce a level of five, he's going to try to go up to 11. The problem is the Richter scale only goes to 10. And so some seemingly innocuous thing can cause somebody to flip out that quickly because of a damaged or stuck emotion. Because feelers take a time to recover. So this is what we refer to as emotional learning. In the scriptures, this is called an infirmity. Damaged emotions limit spiritual growth. They create strongholds in the flesh which war against walking after the spirit. So we look at 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and it says, When I was a child, I spake or spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I've given a lot of thought to this particular scripture, I've done some research. Not a lot of commentaries uh, talk about this verse a lot. In fact, some of them I reviewed, they just went from verse 10 to 12 and just skipped over this verse. Some have said things like, well, what this verse is saying is that when you get older, you look back at some of the things you did as a child and you'll be embarrassed. Okay, that's probably true. Others will say that because we're talking about spiritual gifts, that this verse is saying at some point there's no, going to, no longer going to be a need for spiritual gifts, as those spiritual gifts are something of the purview of a child, and we, would only, we won't need spiritual gifts. We'll be, we'll be wanting to use love, or that's what's going to replace the spiritual gifts. That may be all be true. But I have a different thought. And the reason I have a different thought about this is because, well, you know, a lot of verses can have more than one meaning. Just like we've seen several prophecies will have more than one fulfillment. I think there's a double meaning going on here. And the reason why is because this statement is really obvious, isn't it? In fact, it's too obvious for me. It's like saying, here's some truth for you. When you throw a rock up in the air, first it's going to go up, but then it's going to go down. And you'll be like, really? That's interesting. Um, it's like one of my professors at Oxford would say, you have a blinding flash of the obvious. And this is a too obvious verse for me. I think there's something behind that. So I want to look at a little bit of the larger context here. The previous section says, love is patient, but I'm not always patient. Love is kind, but I'm not always kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, but I envy and boast and can be arrogant. In other words, patience, kindness, humility, and so on is what happens when you become love. But it doesn't happen 
when you first get saved, does it? It's something we work on the rest of our lives. Then comes this next section saying, I, I know, talking about knowing in part, I know why I do some things, but other times I have no idea why I'm doing other things. So I think this 11th verse here is saying, and this is what I'm thinking, and again, this is just me, so research it yourself, but consider the source. I might be wrong. But here's how I see this now. I see it saying, when I became a child, I put an end to childish ways. But childish ways have not put an end to me. Just in the same way that love is patient, but I'm not always patient. So the things I experienced as a child, especially the really negative or traumatic things, that or I perceived to be negative, we talked about that last week, perception, belief, thought, emotion, behavior. As an adult, even though I put them away, I may have put those away to my demise. I have a saying, that which we resist persists, but that which we look at disappears. And if I could put an end to the negative memories that I experienced when I was little, how great would that be? That would be awesome, right? Would you sign up for that workshop? Because we're going to have one that does that in, in April. Okay, I'll come back to that. So the younger versions of me, or you, still carry strong emotions and occasionally try to run the show. And I often think of it as when we get stressed or emotions pop up, there's this five-year-old part of us who's going to try to solve the problem. Now you have a five-year-old running your life, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen people in conflict, maybe at work, and they start to look rather childish? (laughs) That's why it's like a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, little versions of them operating out of a 35-year-old and a 40-year-old. Those kind of things go on. So I just want you to experience this for a moment. We're not doing the lemon exercise this time. We're going to do something a little different. So... I would like you to think of an event in your own life that was negative, not too negative, but something that was maybe embarrassing or humiliating or confusing or something like that. I want you to get a memory like that. I was doing this one time, and a guy raised his hand. He goes, how many do you want? <laughs> his whole life had a series of negative things happened to him. Now I want you to just close your eyes for a second, and I want you to bring up that memory as clearly as you possibly can and just to experience that memory again. Now you can open your eyes. So how many of you, when you just brought up that memory, had some experience there? How many people felt some stuff going on? What were some of the emotions? Just shout out. What were the emotions that you felt? What's that? Anger. Frustration. Shame. Anxiety, yeah. And how many of you, that happened more than 10 years ago? More than 20 years ago. So guess what time heals? It only heals the physical body. It doesn't heal damaged emotions. So to tell someone who's being emotional, don't worry, this too shall pass. Maybe not. It might not pass. I've worked with people that... 50 years ago that happened to me, and instantly can bring up that emotion. And when that emotion comes up, it feels like it's happening to you, doesn't it? But it didn't happen to you sitting here. It happened to her, him. In fact, the experts tell us that about every two years, all the cells in our bodies are replaced. So anything that happened to you more than two years ago didn't happen to you. (laughs) Happened to a previous version of you. So I'm going to assume I don't need to go too much further to convince you you likely have some damaged emotions. Some of you may not. And if you don't have any damaged emotions in your life, 
First, I envy you, but I'm not supposed to envy. <laughs> but you should praise God for that, that you had that kind of, kind of life, that you didn't have too many negative things. But if you, just in case you do, let me explain some things that might ring true for you. And you'll see in a moment there's a pun there. These are going to ring true for you. You guys ever heard of Pavlov? And he was a famous Russian psychologist and research guy. And you heard about his dog. You got a dog. And every time he'd feed that dog, what would he do? He'd ring a bell. And it got to the point where every time that dog heard a bell, he thinks food's coming, so he starts salivating. So somehow he measured his salivation response. Then he brings a dog in the room, and he has an empty bowl there. But he also rings the bell. And when the dog hears the bell, he still salivates. Now the dog looks in the bowl, and he sees there's no food. But he's still salivating. And what Pavlov is also teaching us there, whether he meant to or not, is that sometimes knowledge doesn't matter. Some forms of counseling and psychotherapy, the whole goal is to figure out what's wrong. And then once we get there, we're done. And okay, that's what happened. That's why you're so screwed up. Thanks and pay for the way out, you know. That's like you bring your car into my, my shop and we have some sounds and I diagnose it. Here's the problem. Your transmission's bad. You go, oh, okay, how long is it going to take to fix it? We, we don't fix them. We just tell you what's wrong. I'm going to give you a coping mechanism, only drive in first gear. That's all you get to do, okay? You wouldn't be happy with that. <clears throat> he brought another dog in and played a metronome every time you fed it at 100 beats a minute. Got that dog to salivate at 100 beats a minute. Then he brought the dog in and played it at 98 beats a minute. Nothing happens. He plays it at 102 beats a minute, and nothing happens. Now, I'm pretty sure dogs can't count. One of my degrees is in music. I would not be able to differentiate for you the difference between 92, 100, and 102, and neither could Melanie, neither could Steve, or any other magician, magician, musician in here. <laughs> well, some of these musicians are like magicians, aren't they? But the dog did. And what we're learning here is that sometimes we can learn things without even knowing or being aware that we learned them. And then when certain conditions are met in the future, we will act a certain way and not know why. Why did that happen? I often tell the story about a little girl putting a puzzle together one day, and the next room the parents get into an argument. She hears that. Because I talked about last week, everything kids learn is about themselves. That parent's argument is sort of a threat to peace and happiness and she's working on a puzzle. So what's that child mind do? Is It's probably this puzzle that's causing the problem in the family. So she puts away the puzzle and never build another puzzle the rest of her life. Because somehow puzzles are a problem. And then she gets in her 20s and she's got a young man that she sees from time to time. And Valentine's Day's coming up. He found out she likes horses. So this poor guy goes out and finds a puzzle with a horse on it. Real nice puzzle, one of those German puzzles, right? And he gives it to her and she unwraps it. And he's waiting for her to give him a big hug. And what does she do when she sees that puzzle? She breaks up with him. Will she know why? No, she will not know why. She'll have to rationalize. Well, can you believe he gave me a puzzle? That was a $65 puzzle that he gave you. Well, he should be so insensitive to give me a puzzle. It's nothing to do with that. Something that she learned at a very young age. 
Then he uh, gets another dog, and it was hard for him to get dogs at this point because word was on the street, don't go near Pavlov's place because you'll be hearing bells and ticking and salivating and not what's going on. He gave this, showed this dog a circle every time he fed it. So he got to the point where the dog saw a circle, he would salivate. Then he brings the dog in the room, and he shows him an oval. Nothing happens. So he shows him another oval. It's hard to tell, but it's going to get a little, little more like a circle. Nothing happens. A little more like a circle. A little more like a circle. He couldn't go any closer than that. And when this dog sees this almost circle, he doesn't salivate, but the dog starts whining and growling and pulling at his restraint, becoming clinically neurotic, looking at an almost circle. And he's thinking, what do I do? This looks like something that I'm familiar with, but it's not quite the same, but it seems very familiar. And the reason this is happening is Pavlov is feeding this dog something called uncertainty. Have you ever felt uncertain in your life and you weren't sure what to do? And how did you feel? Right? You might start getting tummy problems or shaking or something like that. So, let's pause here for a second then before we move on to make these connections that we can learn things emotionally and when similar things come up from the past, we can become almost neurotic, worrying about things and not even knowing why we do. But the body will release the hormones to make it feel okay that we're acting this way. So everything that happened to you was recorded. And so here's you now, and here's you 10 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, and so on, all the way back to when you were brand new. Look how cute you were. Were cute, right? (laughs) We're all cute at one point. And so what happens is, as you're experiencing life, you have two search engines going on. I call them Google search, and I call the other one a Yahoo search. The Google search is done with the hippocampus, and it's comparing everything, every memory it's ever had, to what's going on now. Its exact match is what it needs. And that's how we can recognize people. Even ourselves in the mirror, your brain does a search. Yep, that's me. I got a recording of me like that. If there's something that changes, there may be a hesitation. Last time we went out to see, what are their names, Heather and Sam? Um, and they have how many kids? Four kids. And the oldest one's Liam. Liam's coming here for, for a while in, in March. Um, I started parting my hair on this side. And we got there, and Liam gives me a hug, you know, and then he backs up and he looks at me and says, Poppy, your face looks different. Now, initially, I thought he was talking about the extra charm I have now and my wrinkles and all that. But then I quickly realized his hippocampus is going, something's not quite right here. That's what that does for you. Now, the Yahoo search engine does a different kind of search. It looks back at all the memories, and it's looking for two things. One of those is, is this event that's going on now, is there any previous event that's almost like this? almost a circle, so to speak. And does it have emotional content associated with it? And so if it finds a memory back here that was positive, and what made that memory positive? Your perception of that memory is what made it positive from last week, right? If it finds a memory like that, and it was, it was a good thing, then your system will bring that emotion from that event in the past into now. And you'll experience the emotion from the past, but not the event. 
you won't experience the event. And you've all had that like, feeling many, many times where you show up someplace, you're like, oh, I like this place. Yeah. What do you like about it? And you'll be like, I have to make stuff up now because I don't know why I like it. And then you'll say, well, I, I like the carpet and I like blue chairs, I guess. I don't know. I just, it feels okay to me. The same will be true with negative events. If it goes back here and finds a negative event that we made it negative, it'll do the same thing. It'll bring up negative emotion into the present. And now the system is saying something about what's happening now. What's happening now, watch out. Be careful. Just like the word exam. It's bringing up negative emotions about exams. So, if you had a great experience the first time you went to an amusement park... Every time you go around the amusement park, you'll have positive feelings. Your system's saying, this is okay to be here. But let's say your fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Reed. Do you all, anybody have Mrs. Reed for fourth grade besides me? <laughs> so we all went to different schools together. So um, she embarrassed you in front of the whole class. And she happened to be wearing a red dress with white polka dots that day. From that point forward, any woman you encounter who's wearing a red dress with white polka dots will cause your system to bring up the alarms. Watch out for this woman. She can't be trusted. She's going to make me look embarrassed. All because the red dress and the white polka dots. And of course, your system will notice this is going on, but it won't bring up Mrs. Reed and the fourth grade for the most part. So at this point, there may be some questions here. Questions such as, well, if I have damaged emotions, how does that limit my spiritual growth? Or you might be asking, won't my spiritual growth simply heal those emotions? Well, that's sort of a trick question, sort of a catch-22. It, it might. The problem is, if you have too many damaged emotions, what's going to happen to your ability to grow spiritually? It's going to be hindered, so you won't naturally heal those emotions. Many of the people I saw raise their, their hands this morning, uh, you've known the Lord for a long time, and yet you brought up a negative event, and you still have the negative emotion. Okay. So the last one here is, does God have any way to fix or repair damaged emotions? Well, what do you think? <laughs> of course he does. He has that ability to do that. So let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we eagerly await the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So I'm going to pause here before we go on and unlock this a little bit more. Let's talk about this word groaning. What does that mean? Well, in the previous chapter, Paul was talking about being enslaved to sin. This sin is indwelling in the body, and the body groans for deliverance from this enslavement to sin. And while the body will not be saved, it can be redeemed or freed from this enslavement, hence the groaning. My take on this, and again, this is just me, is this inward groaning relates in part to the strongholds or damaged emotions that we don't know how to get repaired or get released. And then it goes on to explain some things in the next verse. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You can also see the words crippling or infirmities. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
through wordless groans so that we do not know what we ought to pray for, Pavlov's ticking metronome. We don't even know what's wrong in some cases. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people. He is pleading over the holy ones, and that's us, in accordance with the will of God. So I want to unpack this a little bit. There is a fixer for these damaged emotions that we are groaning inwardly about. The Spirit helps us, or is more accurately stated, is together supporting or giving support to the areas that are unfirm or damaged. Little translation. Is together supporting or giving support, working with us. You know, some healings are miraculous and we have nothing to do with it. But other times, God wants to work with us on some of these things. And then we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit does because he has the ability to search. So we have a a, a Google search and we have a Yahoo search, but the best search is the Holy Spirit. And then we all know this next verse, right? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we want to point out first, the first phrase we know that is directly translated from the Greek, and it's the words, we have perceived. So I talked about perception last week. That's the literal translation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've usually thought about this verse, about talking about external situations, things that are coming at us, and I believe it does talk about that. But however, cannot all things not also include, besides the external things, the internal things as well? This wording can include both the external and internal groanings, which Paul was just talking about. So why would Paul shift from talking about inner groaning to offer a promise about the external situations in our life working out? It doesn't quite make sense to me. It doesn't line up with other parts of the gospel either, that all these things will work out. Because I'm thinking of two storms. Remember the one storm and Jesus is in the boat and he stood up and said, peace be still and what happened? The storm was calm. There's another time when they were in a boat and there was a big storm and they prayed for the storm to be calm and it didn't get calm. But they had a different kind of peace that time. And that was an inward peace. So, I've also thought about these all things as things in the future. Don't matter. Don't, don't worry. Whatever comes, it's going it's to work out. But I think that all things also means all the stuff that has ever happened to you. God is going to work for the good, for those who love him. I know everybody in this room has probably been through something in their lives. Just curious, by a show of hands, how many of you, a year or ten later, <laughs> realize that that thing that God let you go through, he is now using in your life? to help somebody else. You've all had that experience, right? So the great hope and the promise, why James says consider it pure joy, is no matter what's going on, God will work it out to good for those who love him. So there is a divine healer who wants to heal you. And yet God does not heal anyone who is not interested in being healed. I've worked with some people when when it was time to really start get some healing, and they weren't, they weren't ready to do that. And, and what they realized in the process of working through is that that negative event, that terrible thing that happened, is somehow helping them in the, in the present. Of course, many realize the only way it's really helping me is gets attention. And people feel sorry for them, and I like that. So you want to live your life the rest of the way like that. Just everybody feeling sorry for you. No, okay, then you become open to healing. So, 
At the workshop, we're going to explore some simple methods to clear out memories that have negative emotion, particularly those that are no longer really helpful. We'll talk about false guilt versus valid guilt, how Satan uses memories to create false guilt. We'll explore ways to be free of anxiety and ways to eliminate the feelings of shame. And the good news is no one will have to actually talk about anything that happened to them. But until then, how do I get healed? Well, for now, I suggest you perceive God's word as the most powerful healing agent there is out there. And you can begin to apply, as one one man said, massage this scripture into your heart to those broken memories. And you can use scriptures like these, depending on the stronghold that's got you locked up. I Some people just feel condemned, but the scripture says you're not condemned. Some people feel overwhelmed by evil, but you're the conqueror over evil. I'm accepted. I'm sanctified. I have wisdom. I am a new creation. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen holy. All this truth, which comes from God's word through the spirit, can begin to heal those damaged emotions in your life. And if you want a copy of that, I've made some some copies if you want to start using that scripture. I've been doing this for a long time. When things come up, I say, well, I have all these feelings which may or may not be valid, but I've got God's word. And I can quote God's word to myself. Even when Jesus was tempted, how did he deal with the temptations? He quoted God's word. So remember, we have the mind of Christ. Spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are intertwined. The number one reason that emotional damage hinders spiritual maturity is it tends to impact our ability to receive love from God and forgiveness from God and from yourself. Most of the people I work with when I get to this area... Has God forgiven you of that? Yeah. Have you forgiven yourself? Just can't do that. Have a hard time forgiving themselves. And I ask why, and then they begin to talk about all these different kind of things. People who withhold forgiveness of themselves are doing something interesting. So remember, Scripture says we have the mind of Christ, right? So not, it says that. Has God forgiven you? Yes. And you have the mind of Christ? Yeah. Have you forgiven you? Maybe, maybe not. So the people who withhold forgiveness from themselves, I have found, sort of see this as a form of righteousness. I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and he does. But I'm not going to forgive me. That's how righteous I am. Do you have any idea how backwards that is? If you're not going to forgive yourself, you're saying... I'm asking God to get off the throne of judgment. I sit there, and I pronounce myself guilty because I know better than God. In other words, withholding forgiveness from yourself, that's called blasphemy. Yeah, I'm saying some strong stuff now. I want to get to you. Abe, you have to forgive yourself, buddy. Whatever it was, you have to forgive yourself. We all have to do that because we have the mind of who forgives us. So we have to be like our Savior, our friend, our brother, who has forgiven us. Why can we do that? Because we're covered with the blood of His Son. 
So the Bible says, asks us, and we talked about this last week, who can instruct God? Not us. So it's time to take yourself off the hook. Yeah, you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Perhaps you made a real big mistake. Maybe that's the one that you're really struggling with forgiving yourself. But I have some more news for you. I don't care if this mistake was this big or it was this big. To God, all the same. All the same. Got into it with some people recently, wanted to get me on board with, don't you think homosexuality is a sin? I said, well, do you think gossiping is a sin? Because to God, same thing. What about pride? What about gluttony? Those are all the same to God. So even though you think you have a real big sin that God can't forgive, or you have a big sin that God forgave but you can't, you're missing the mark. And missing the mark is the definition of the word sin. So let's reverse that and get out of that. Know the truth and apply it into your life. And you will be set free. So I'm going to pray now as I pray the worship team, if they would be so kind to come up. And this is I call a prayer for damaged emotions. In fact, each week I'm having a prayer related to the topic. If you would like a copy of these prayers, they're available to you as, as well. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Prince of Peace, Spirit of Love, my healer, my sustainer, my defender, my hope. I praise you because you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of glory. I can see now there are some areas of my life that are strongholds. There are things that I have learned about you that are incorrect. There are things I've learned about myself that are incorrect. There are things that have happened to me that I didn't understand at the time, and as a result, I learned things about you and others or myself that are just not true. And as a result, I have some damaged emotions. These damaged emotions are holding me back from being completely free in you, holding me back from trusting you, holding me back from forgiving others and myself. And now I'm in a situation where my ability to receive love and forgiveness from you and others is hindered. I have infirmities and I need your healing touch. For my part, there's something I can do, but I might need your help. There are people I need to forgive. There are people who confused me. Frustrated me. Embarrassed me. They scared me. Some of them hurt me. Even now, I find it hard to forgive them. I might not be ready. I need your strength. I need your power to forgive them. And still there is another stronghold within me. I need to forgive myself. There are so many sins I've committed and ask your forgiveness. And you forgave. I thank you for that forgiveness, but I haven't forgiven myself for some of those sins, and I need your help. I have no intention of considering myself above you or knowing better than you. So have you forgiven me? Then I forgive me. 
I forgive myself of all the sins I've committed, even those sins that right now are screaming at me that I'm guilty. I am not guilty. Your word says I have redemption through the blood of Jesus. You set me free. So I set myself free. I am no longer enslaved to this false guilt trip that the enemy has been trying to deceive me with. And I look forward to walking with you and being healed by you, all the negative memories that hold me back to this day. I continue to praise your name, the King of Kings, the Most High God, my Counselor, my Wisdom and Strength, my Joy, my Savior, my Healer, my Love. With a grateful and healed heart, I thank you. Amen.